Uh, I would love to have us take our Bibles. And if you would turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. This morning, we want to continue our study through this letter, pivotal letter, important things, wonderful things we get to look at today. I'm so excited about the text in front of us. Uh, Specifically, we will spend our time in Colossians 1, 15 to 23. Uh, we'll, we'll begin our reading in a moment way back at verse 3 because there's a big flow of context that prepares us for the specific text that is ours. As you get your Bible ready and your, your sermon notes available, I want you to, to hear a quote with me. A theologian, A.W. Tozer, I know some of you are familiar with him, he famously said this, what comes into our minds when we think about God, is the most important thing about us. Isn't that interesting? What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And of course, he's pressing on the issue that if you think of God as small or powerless or unwise or unable to do Things, if you think of God as small or limited or careless, indifferent, then you will live before God. You will live your life as before that kind of a God. But if you see God as mighty and sovereign and wise and good and your redeemer and savior, you then hopefully will live before that kind of a God. What, you, what comes into our minds when we think about God is indeed the most important thing about us. Now, the text today focuses on Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. <clears throat> normal. It's my normal stuff. <laughs> Believe me, I do this every day. The text before us is a Christological treasure. It focuses us on a theology of Jesus unlike almost any text in the whole New Testament. It's a wonderful treasure, and we get to go there today. And likewise, then, I would say, I ask you, what what is it that you think when you think of the name Lord Jesus Christ? What fills your mind? I want to pray for us, and we'll step into the text. So if you would join me in that, please. Our Father, as we have prayed already today, it is, a, it is a great privilege to open the Word of God together, and whether here in this room physically or in our living rooms at home or other places uh, around the country or the world, it is a wonderful thing to open the Word of God and here be united by the Spirit of God and looking together at what you are like, O oh God. And it is our prayer today that you would fill us with a, a greater vision of what you are like that we would see our Savior Jesus as truly wonderful and amazing and precious. So, Father, we invite your, your presence in a special way now by the Spirit of God. Help us to see and to treasure your word. Point our hearts to Jesus. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So I want to read the word of God. And as I mentioned, I'm going to start at Colossians 1, verse 3. And let's look together at this amazing text. So hear God's word then. Colossians 1, starting verse 3, we read this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, 
since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we, uh, you, we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you or qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he may be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Wow. Amazing, amazing text. Well, on your study notes, of course, there are some words of review and just a a brief comment introducing today's, today's text. We want to focus on verses 15 to 23, but the reason I wanted to read this whole portion is I was, I was hoping that in doing so, you would see the connection between our text, starting at verse 15, and what precedes it. There is a vital link here. These are not random paragraphs just kind of shoved together. And one of the dangers of preaching paragraph by paragraph is to forget that, that it's, a, it's a letter. There's connection going on here. There's thought building on thought, and that's the case in our text here. So if you look at your sermon notes, I'm stepping into that first heading, uh, looking at Colossians 1, 15 to 20, Christ is our creator, sustainer, and Lord of all. And I I note here verse 12, if you look back at verse 12, last week's text, we see the statement of thanks, which we commented on before, and he's, he's paving the way, he's building 
So that when we come to verse 15 and what follows, it, it carries on the thought. So we're giving thanks in verse 12 to God. It's not just a general feeling of thankfulness. People often speak of today, uh, you, you perhaps you notice somebody says, well, I'm feeling thankful. And in the Bible, our thankfulness routinely has a focus. It's not just a general abstract feeling of gratefulness. It's gratefulness to God, the one from whom all blessings flow. So our gratefulness here is God, God word. And as I note here on your study sheet, it is based on substantive, objective, permanent truth. Now there's a list for you. Substantive, objective, permanent truth is to be the subject here of thanksgiving as Paul describes it. Again, nothing, as we said last week, nothing wrong with being grateful for those small daily things like not raining on your parade or whatever the deal is. Good to be thankful for those. But this text is about other kinds of things. Thankful, giving thanks to God, give thanks to the Father. For what? He's qualified you, qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light delivered us. He's delivered us from this domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And about whom are we speaking? See the logical connection? And he's going to tell us now. I'll tell you exactly who Christ is. This one who should be the object of our love and affection and worship. Now, I, I comment here, as you see in front of you, verses 15 to 20, there's a certain form. And people who study the Bible uh, note the form here, as in other New Testament texts, that would appear to be, uh, maybe in the early church, a hymn. Now, you look at this and say, but there aren't four stanzas in a chorus. Uh, that's what we recognize as a hymn. And, of course, the four stanzas in a chorus, or whatever that is, that's our form of a hymn. And it's translated into another language, for goodness sakes. So, those who study the text suggest that, that these verses may have been a, a formulation by the early church that the Apostle Paul is saying, do you remember hymn number 38 or something like that? Here's what we sing on a regular basis. He's the image of the invisible God, this wonderful statement about Jesus. And I mentioned here on your study notes, as in John 1.18, and I say Paul presents, I'm not saying Paul wrote John 1.18, clearly that came from the Apostle John, but Paul presents Jesus as the one who makes God known to us. Christ exegetes the Father. He explains. And I'm basing that, I'm looking back to John, John 1.18, where you see Christ as the one who has declared, explained, made clear the Father. So when you want to know, really biblically, when you want to know what God is like, you need look no further than Jesus. Christ is presented to us in the New Testament as a focal point for our worship and our praise. And I, I, I say that as part of a much longer conversation for another time, uh, responding to modern movements that some of you hear about that suggest that at times, for example, we ignore the Father or we ignore the Holy Spirit. Now, even some popular writing these days suggests that we're ignoring uh, the, the Father or the Holy Spirit, and we're just talking about Jesus all the time, like we should be ashamed of that. And actually, in focusing on Christ, we're following the instruction of the New Testament. In fact, if you read the Gospel of John, especially chapters 15, 16, 17, that focus on Christ headed to the cross, 
and saying, I'm going to send the Spirit of God, he defines the work of the Spirit of God. Do you remember what he says? He says of the Spirit of God, who is at that point yet to come, he will glorify me, Jesus says. He will point people to me. In other words, when Christ, when Christ is most honored, the Holy Spirit is most at work. The Holy Spirit is never sitting in a corner saying, over here, over here, I'm feeling ignored. No, when we are honoring Christ, the Holy Spirit says, yes, that's exactly what I came to do, is to point you, point your attention and your worship to the person of Christ. And so here we have this wonderful declaration. Now, the next little bullet point, I start moving through these verses, and I invite you to look at the text as I make some comments along the way. First of all, verse 15, then some specifics. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. An image is a replication of the, of the original. It's the term that you'd use if you're striking a coin and leaving a mark. Uh, an image here is one explaining another. It's ex- helping us understand what the other is like. And so Paul says Christ is the image of the invisible God. What is God like? Well, look to Jesus, and you'll see what God is like. Sometimes people stumble over the expression, the firstborn of all creation. In fact, there are some big name, I'll say it, cults who take this and say, well, firstborn, born, I have this many children, there's a firstborn, they're the oldest, which means there was a time when this child was not. And that is not hear me carefully, that is not what the Bible teaches about Jesus. In fact, the word firstborn uh, sometimes is used about rank in birth order, but not always, even in the Bible. And I reference one of these here, and I'm going to go back to it because I want you to see this. You should. You should know one example of right where this is. So I'm going back to Psalm 89, which is a very interesting psalm looking at David as the king. And you should look at how these terms are used throughout the Bible because it will help you on the day that you're in a discussion about this as you discuss theology with people, as I hope you do. In Psalm 89, which is a song of of great angst, if you look at the whole thing together, it's, it's the psalm writer reminding God of what he said to David in the Davidic covenant and wondering why their country is in such a mess. How can this possibly be? But I want you to notice in the middle of this dialogue with God, the the psalm writer is rehearsing with God things that he said in verse 27. He's talking about David. You see that in the context back in verse 20. He's rehearsing. God, you said this about David. And here, the psalm writer repeats God's words to himself. He says, verse 27, God, you said this. You said, I'll make him the firstborn the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I'll keep for him forever. My covenant will stand firm for him. And he's rehearsing the Davidic covenant. And you see here the term firstborn. So when the psalm writer remembers before God, God's words, you said you'd make David your firstborn. Was he saying that David would be the the first king ever in existence? Well, no. He was talking here, as explained, First in order, first in priority, first place in honor, the, the highest of the kings of the earth. This is spoken about King David, of course, and the greater son of David, Messiah, 
Jesus, the highest, the firstborn, the highest of all kings. We sing the song, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That's what this is talking about. God looking at, at his son, Messiah, and saying here in, in Colossians in our main text, the firstborn of all creation. He's not talking about time order. He is saying first in rank. You think there's a great king ever existed? Christ is above that king. Christ is greater than that king. Christ is smarter and wiser and better than that king. First, first place, firstborn. The NIV here, interestingly, is helpful if you have one of those in front of you by translating this firstborn over, I think it says. Firstborn over all creation. That's the idea. Rank, order, priority. You should know that. Verse 16, Paul says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authorities. In the Bible, those appear to be terms referring to angels, various orders or ranks of angels. And Paul says all these things were created through him and for him. In other words, everything you can see, everything you can't see, everything in the physical world, everything in the spiritual world, all things were created by him. What's the other part of it? For him. Listen, why do you exist? Why do you have a carbon footprint? Why do you take up space on this planet? Is it so you'll find yourself? Is it so that you'll make a great name for yourself? Uh, Make a lot of money and have a great retirement? Not against names and buildings and retirements. It's not my point. Why are you here, according to this text? You are here for him, for Christ, for his glory, for his purpose, on this planet. That's the biggest reason why you're here. You might say, well, man, that sounds boring. I thought I was here to have fun. Let me just tell you something. Of all the different things and different ways you can live your life, the greatest fun actually is knowing that you're living before the eyes of your creator and fulfilling his purposes. It doesn't get a whole lot better than that. I like carnival rides. Roller coasters are great, but there's no, no rush that compares with knowing that you live before the smile of the one who made you. Why do you exist? whether you're doing something fun or something difficult, when you bear up under difficulty, when you're patient, when pressed and harassed and things are difficult, when you bear up under that for the glory of God, you are living for him. Some of you who understand this, my goodness sakes, you along with me, there are times you go through something, you endure something, and in your heart you say, Lord, I'm doing this for you. This is for you. There's not any other reason why I am this or this or this. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for you. That's the idea here. Everything was created by him and for him. Verse 17. He is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Old King James, New King James, both say in him, all things consist. The idea he's the glue the one who holds the universe in place. And as I put here on your study notes, please get this. No, the world is not out of control. In case you felt like maybe it is. No, it isn't. The world is not out of control. Life is not random. No, we are not in a driverless universe careening out of control. Come on, people. This is why theology matters. No, we are in his hands. Come what may. Now, that doesn't mean that you just, you know, 
treat life with carelessness and abandon and don't wash your hands. It doesn't mean that. Wash your hands, for goodness sakes. But know, as you exercise whatever care in a difficult world, and as you put up with all kinds of other things in a world that's sometimes hard, know that God has his hands on the steering wheel the whole time. I hope you believe that. I hope that however you respond to life right now, I hope you are not giving in to that, that, that hmm, theologically driven panic. No, get have a theologically uh, driven grip on things. Be careful, wash your hands, sanitize, do all the other. Yes, and know that God is still on the throne. And so live with joy. Okay? So, so you can be cautious. I, don't, I do not want you to hear me say that fear, that, that <laughs> I don't want to have you hear me say that a faith-driven life is careless. I don't mean that. Put your seatbelt on. But as you buckle up or do whatever else you do to protect yourself and your family, do it with joy and confidence because you live in the presence of a wonderful God. That's the difference that faith makes here. It doesn't mean you're careless but it means you have rest in your heart rather than staying awake at night saying, oh, no. See, no, you're in his hands, and there's not a car accident or a virus that will come your way apart from the providential hand and good love of God. So live like that, people, as, as I want to do as well. Verse 18, he is the head of the body the church. This is Christ. He's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he may be preeminent. That is first place. Some of your Bibles translate it that way. That everything he may have first place. Preeminent. I love that word. It's like a $5 word that kind of rolls well off the tongue. I think it's a good word. He is the head of the church. The church is, as I put in your study notes, the church is the physical representation of Christ in this world. That's, that's what the church is all about. We are his body in this world. We are his physical representation in this world. Sometimes we do that well. Sometimes we don't as uh, the church. Sometimes we get it wrong. But we are his physical presence in this world. And, of course, that means that even now there are things we do to care for our neighbor. We care for others in the church body. Um, I'm going to interject a little comment here about the presence of the church in the world in light of all the present things going on. Uh, One of the things that Sunset Bible Church has done to create an atmosphere, a structure where people care for each other, uh, is to decentralize care. In other words, a whole bunch of you, about half the church, is in community groups. And it's our hope that through those webs of relationships, a lot of very practical needs can be met. We don't centralize. Like if there's a need, call the office. Do you have any idea what that would do to the office? Uh, it doesn't matter how many lists of whatever it is you got. If everybody with a need calls the office, we are in deep trouble. See? And so are you, by the way. That would be the worst possible way to provide care. No, we want to build webs of relationships so that other people are caring for people, uh, caring for meals, uh, helping out with, with, with child care. Some of you are already doing this uh, in the recent response to things. There have been people in this church who have posted, in our home, we could care for two or three kids if mom or dad have to work. Isn't that wonderful? 
That's the way it ought to be. That's, that's the church functioning as a body rather than saying, well, I'm going to call the office and have them take care of everybody's kids. No, hold on. You're doing it. You're already doing it. Uh, some of you have already, it, you just the Sunset Bible Church, um, there's a, oh, come on. What's it called? The child care. <laughs> Play date. Yeah, yeah, and you're one of those, aren't you, dear? You, you, in our home, we could care for a certain number of kids if mom or dad have to work. Fantastic. That's the body of Christ functioning that way. A need over here. I already took a meal, someone says. Wonderful. And others of you could do that too. That's the body of Christ functioning the way the body of Christ should. Not centralizing, decentralizing. Everybody will get better care, I promise, if we do this through webs of relationships rather than calling me. Uh, I can't do much. I don't know much, and I can't cook that many pots of soup. So, so decentralize. Uh, we'll try to help. I'm not saying don't call us if there's not a, a difficulty that you don't have. I'm just saying if everybody calls, we are in deep trouble, as are you. The head of the body, the church, the church, Christ's physical representation in the world. And as you look at verse 18, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Yes, the first one to rise from the dead, never to die again. There were others, Christ raised from the dead, Lazarus among them, who would die again. Christ, the first one, in this case, to be raised from the dead, never to die again. Beating death so that Christians do not need to fear death in all of this, that Christ may have first place. Four, verse 19 says, for in him all the fullness of God, the fullness of deity, was pleased to dwell through him to reconcile to himself all things. That will be the end of human history when all things, when all things are resolved. Judgment has taken place. And as we read in the prophets, and the kingdom is the Lord's. Things on heaven, things on earth. There will be a day when all things are finally resolved. Judgment is done, rewards given, and eternity, we would say, begins. Now, verses 21 to 23, that next section. Not only Christ is our creator, sustainer, and Lord of all, but this is very, very personal. Redeemer, Savior, and Keeper. And I, I, I love the shift that takes place between the previous paragraph and this one. We move, as I note in your study notes at some point here, we move from the transcendent to the imminent, from the, from the big and the macro to the personal and the micro. We move from Christ as the creator of all that is to the one who has redeemed us. This is very personal, his care. We'll look at verses 21 to 23. And by the way, all these use the yous you see here, all of them are plural. You've heard me say that before in preaching. Often we look at the word you, Y-O-U, in the, in the text, and we think he's talking to you personally. And there is a sense in which he is, but all these are y'alls, to use a good Southern phrase, or all y'all, as Miss Jana would have reminded me where she's sitting there today. All y'all, it's, it's, it's y'all, you. You, Paul says, who once were, look at these descriptors, you were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Do you own those phrases about yourself? Or is that just hard to hear? That's how God describes people who don't know Christ as their savior and who want to save themselves or shake a fist at heaven or deny that God exists. Don't want to bow the knee to the God of heaven. He describes them or you before you knew Christ. If today you do know Christ, 
he describes that person as alienated. That is, there's a separation of relationship. There is. Hostile in mind, refusing to bow the knee to the God who made us. Doing evil deeds. That's anything apart from uh, what is done by this in, in living before God, living before him as king and Lord. And what has God done to these, these people, us? What has he done? He has reconciled us. He's, he's bridged that brokenness. He's bridged the gap caused by our sin in his body of, body, in his body of flesh by his death. When Christ died on the cross, Christ is our redeemer and reconciler. And I love the contrast here. To present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now, I will forgive you if you look around and say, wait a minute, who are the ones who are holy and blameless and without reproach? Who are those people? I mean, come on. Yeah, if you are in Christ, this is a description of you. Go figure. When in your life, come on now, when in your life, can you give me five minutes when you were holy and blameless and beyond reproach before the God of heaven? Not even one wrong thought. Have you done it for five minutes ever in your life even when you're asleep, come on. Can you, can you go five minutes and not once think a judgmental, snarky thought that insults God and somebody else? You should try it for five minutes sometime and see if you can have a faith-filled thought constantly. Like, not a doubt, not a fear, not a, not a giving in to, to selfishness. Or you Just try it sometime. You're going to work very hard, and then if you succeed, you'll blow it in the last minute because you'll be probably filled with pride. See, oh, I poke you a little bit, tease you a little bit, but the reality is, he, Paul's drawing a contrast. Before you knew Christ, alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but now because of Jesus, holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Can you imagine being introduced, announced in heaven on the day you step across the threshold as one of God's holy blameless and without reproach children. Here comes Jay, the holy and blameless and one without reproach. And I'm going to look around going, oh Lord, can it be? How can this be? How can this be? Only by the righteousness of Christ. I mean, this is just loaded with gospel. That's how that can be true of you. It's no, no good of mine, no merit of my own I bring, the songwriter would say. Uh, it's simply to thy cross I cling. I, I, I don't have any of this. If I have to come up with my own holiness and blamelessness and above reproach, I am so done today. Lower the flag and go home. No, this, this what he's describing, is the gift of God to the one who trusts Christ as Savior, that you would be presented before the Almighty, holy and blameless and above reproach. I, 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 hope, that, I hope that on some level that stuns your heart. If you yawn through that sentence and say, yeah, yeah, that kind of describes me. Oh, buddy, you're not getting it. Holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Now, verse 23, interesting, isn't it? This great mercy, he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard that has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. When he says, if you continue in the faith, he's not saying you have to earn your salvation, but as I put in your study note, this, this great mercy, this forgiveness, this being presented holy and blameless and beyond reproach is for those who trust Christ as their Savior and who by persevering, that's my key word there, persevering in faith, give evidence 
of the reality of their profession of faith. It doesn't mean you're earning salvation. It means you're demonstrating the reality of it. Demonstrating that when you raised your hand or signed that little card or prayed a prayer, you're demonstrating by your life that it's really true. Anybody can say a word. Anybody can raise their hand. Anybody can check a little box. But it's demonstrating by the life that follows that that profession of faith was real. Now, where do we go with this today? I look at that section called Hearing and Responding to God's Word. This is a wonderful text. I mentioned the presentation here of God and Christ, Son of God, as both transcendent and imminent, great and good. So amazing portrayal of Christ. And then he gets very, very personal. Those two categories, great and good. You've heard me preach on this before, and it's so good for you to hear again and again and again. When theologians speak about God, they routinely put the attributes of God into two categories. And those are the two categories. And this text reflects both. It's all over the Bible. The greatness of God and the goodness of God. His bigness and his nearness. And I, as I say here, every child of God needs to understand and swim in the deep waters of both. You need to have your heart overwhelmed with the bigness of God. And yet if you forget in thinking about the bigness of God, that he is also very near you'll have half of your theology correct. And if you only think about the nearness of God and forget that he is big and awesome and one before whom you should tremble, then you will not treat him as very holy. You'll treat him as a a God you high five or fist bump. And the God of the Bible is not one before whom you just kind of come in and say, yo, I don't think so. Now you bow, baby, you bow in the presence of a holy God. So the greatness of God, the goodness of God, his bigness, his nearness, your heart needs a healthy dose, dose of both. I hope you have that. Paul is overwhelmed by the glory of Christ. I hope you are too. Paul references in verse 23, the hope of the gospel, the hope not shifting from the hope of the gospel. I hope the hope of the gospel floods your soul today. Confidence in God. Now, we are going to pray together. Our Father, in these days, we turn our our hearts and our thoughts to you. Uh, We bow before you. We ask our Father for wisdom for all of our community and state and our national leaders from the president right on down. For each of them, oh God, that you would have your hand upon them for good, for leadership in this critical time, and for a turning in this in this country of men and women to you. Maybe, maybe now, maybe this will bring some to say uh, what's going on in this world. Turn them to you, God. We pray for that. Pray for good for our country in this, Father. For we, each of us, as we live in this world turn our hearts to you in great confidence oh yes caution and care love for our neighbors but great trust in you along the way thank you father for your love for us today thank you for holding us fast we honor bless your name today in the name of jesus we pray amen stay tuned about the week pay attention to email facebook instagram we'll communicate god bless you have a good week